Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years, and one of my favorite research tools is Truthfinder. It's online, and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give Truthfinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing, but you got to click the link and enter Evil 10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time. Well, our society regards children as innocent, kind, and vulnerable. But when our children commit horrendous criminal acts, it's one of the most shocking and disturbing things that we can imagine. These criminal acts stand in direct contrast to our perceptions, and they result in a new reality for each of us, a reality that's very difficult to reconcile. Let's talk about juvenile delinquency. Welcome to Profiling Evil Academy, Season 3, and this episode on juvenile delinquency. Now, if you're one of my university students, welcome back. If you're one of our Profiling Evil channel members, thanks so much for your financial support. It really does help us out. But regardless, would you all please take a moment and hit that like and subscribe button, ring the bell, Make sure you're getting all the notifications, and please share Profiling Evil with all your friends. And remember, you can catch Profiling Evil podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you're checking us out also on the World Wide Web. Well, folks, I thought I'd start this segment out by talking about a horrible case I remember. It involves juvenile violence that might literally shake you to the core. It's the case of Erin Caffey. She's a girl out of Texas, and she tried to kill her entire family. In fact, she succeeded for the most part. It all happened when her parents prevented her from seeing a boy that she had fallen in love with. Let's go back. Let me take you back to March of 2008, when this 16-year-old directed her 18-year-old boyfriend and his buddy to break into her parents' home in Alba, Texas. By the time these predators left, two children, Aaron's siblings, their mother, were dead. The father was the only survivor, and he was shot multiple times before intruders left the house, setting it on fire. Now, of course, the 16-year-old who planned it all was alive and well, sitting in the car out front watching the event unfold. Now, the entire criminal event was actually set in motion about five months earlier when then 16-year-old Erin started dating an 18-year-old boy that she met while she was working at a restaurant, a little fast food place as a waitress. She was only working part-time. And like many of these relationships, things move quickly. And before long, the pair started talking about marriage. Well, as you can imagine... Aaron Caffey's parents didn't like the idea of the marriage, and they certainly didn't like this kid. Now, her surviving father would later say that he had reservations about the boy from the very beginning. He said there were things about him that just didn't sit right. Well, this dad couldn't have been more on target. As the young couple's love intensified, Aaron's interests in church and school began to wane. 
In fact, started sliding dramatically. Aaron's parents researched the boy online and learned that he was a pretty troubled kid. His posts on social media were filled with sexual innuendos, and he was always talking about drinking alcohol. Well, two months before the murders, Aaron's parents forbade her from seeing the boy any longer. And within days, she was talking to her friends about killing her parents. Can you imagine two days later? Well, on the day of the murders, Aaron's boyfriend and his buddy pulled into the driveway of the Kathy home. Aaron sat in the car with another friend, a girl. Before going inside, the killers told Aaron that they were probably going to have to kill her younger brothers as well as killing her parents because they couldn't risk having any witnesses to the crime. Aaron's response? Just do what you gotta do. Well, once inside, the killer shot Aaron's parents in their bedroom. They, They wounded her father with multiple gunshots, and he laid there, almost paralyzed, as he watched him execute his wife. When one of the killer's weapons jammed as he was shooting the mother, the other one simply pulled out a samurai-style sword and nearly decapitated the woman as he finished off the, the, the murder of her. They both then went upstairs to the boys' bedrooms, who were screaming for help, and they murdered them. The children were not only shot, but they were mutilated with a sword. Now, before these predators left the home, they ransacked it and then they lit it on fire. Miraculously, Aaron's dad crawled out a window and over to a neighbor's house, pleading for help. Well, all of them were arrested, all were charged with murder, and all of them got plea deals, but they landed in prison. Folks, this is criminal behavior through and through. And while the boyfriend in this case was an adult, the daughter, Erin, was not. I've got an entire notebook here where people are saying it is your idea to kill your parents, that you were emphatic to kill your parents. They would say, let's just run away. I mean, now come on, let's just run away. No, I want them dead. Are they all lying? You know, every young girl said, oh, I wish my parents were dead. But I didn't mean it. I know as you are here now today, you don't mean it. I get that, Aaron. I really do. But you've got to own it at the time. I've got your phone records here of of you calling them in the two time periods, talking them through it, walking them in. You knew they were coming to kill your family. Your father deserves that truth. I know it to be true. You know it to be true. The prosecutors, everybody knows it to be true. But your father's in denial about it. He's out saying, oh, you know, she got caught up in all of this and she's a victim. And that's just simply not the case, is it? Are you a victim here? I mean, no. Did you mastermind this crime? Were you the motivating force behind this happening? If not the motivating force, a motivating force. I I probably added fuel to the fire. You wanted them dead. Tell me what you're thinking. 
I wasn't thinking that not, I mean, I wasn't like mad, mad at them or anything like, like that. Just, I feel like it just ha happened. You got tired of them bickering and said, just do it. Is that true? I'm sorry? Yes. You gave the command, just do it. You've got to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with your father. If you do, then you can forgive yourself. You can ask and accept his genuine forgiveness. You can't get genuine forgiveness embedded in a lie. You have to tell the truth. So as such, rather than being deemed a criminal, under U.S. law, she was changed to a delinquent charged uh, as a delinquent in the case. Now, some juveniles can be charged as adult in criminal cases, but in her case, she was charged as a juvenile delinquent. In the United States, and I suspect it's pretty consistent around the world, and I'll look for your comments down below about whether that is the case, a juvenile delinquent is a person who commits a crime under the age of 18. Now, in recent years, some of the states have increased that age slightly. Like Michigan now says it's 19. New York and Vermont agree with them, age 19. So they give them an extra year to offend and not have to face the consequence. Well, I'll let you be the judge of that move. But I want to mention, too, that there are three states, Georgia, Texas, and Wisconsin, that made that cutoff point 17. So they're holding people a little more responsible, a little younger. And just as there are differences in the maximum age of juvenile delinquency, there are also minimum age ranges for children to be considered capable of delinquency. And that age varies between states. In some states, depending on the age or the seriousness of the crime, they can be deemed adults. So you might want to go back and check out what your state statute is, especially if you're a juvenile thinking about committing a crime. Well, there are a number of scholars who believe there's a marked increase in the number of arrests for youth charged with crimes like this. And they conclude that this is a reflection of a more aggressive criminal justice system than, than uh, youth becoming angrier and meaner. This zero policy, zero tolerance policy, in their opinion, means more arrests. Others would argue, no, kids are getting meaner. Well, nationally, youth violence rates have actually dropped over a period in 1993 when they reached their peak. And this suggests that juvenile crime, frankly, is dropping. If that's true, it's great news. Now, most experts believe that juvenile delinquency is a factor of the family dynamic and it's influenced by peer behavior, but they say that most delinquency events are actually appropriately handled by juvenile courts, so we shouldn't push kids into adult court systems. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think kids should be forced into an adult court system if they commit a homicide? Now, the juvenile court handles offenses like alcohol possession, petty theft charges, things like that. And the United Nations Children's Fund, it's called UNICEF, and I think that's what you know it by, estimates that more than one million children are in some kind of juvenile detention at any time across the world. 
The United States Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention recently reported that 7 out of every 1,000 kids in the U.S. will commit a serious crime. Serious crime in the U.S. is defined as murder or non-negligent homicide, sexual assault, robberies, aggravated assaults, burglaries, motor vehicle thefts, larceny thefts, and arsons. Now, there are a number of factors that influence juvenile delinquency, and most people agree and classify them as either situational or family environment. Now, according to Lawrence Steinberg's book, Adolescence, the two largest predictors of juvenile delinquency are parenting styles and peer group associations. And, and there are some additional factors that can lead to delinquency, like economics, uh, socioeconomic status, poor school readiness, uh, failure in school, peer rejection, delinquent activities, especially if that delinquent activity is gang involvement. All of those can really impact and, and motivate someone toward crime. But family dynamics, such as the level of parental supervision, uh, the way in which a parent disciplines a child, whether there's conflict or criminal activity by parents or parental abuse and neglect, all of these things can play a huge role in influencing delinquency. Parenting takes a heavy part of the blame, and most experts believe the extremes in parenting styles may actually drive a child further away and into compliance. So the primary parenting styles are the authoritative parents who offer warmth and support in addition to discipline, indulgent parents who provide warmth and regard toward their children, but they lack structure and discipline. Those are, those are the two primary areas. But on the negative side, the authoritarian parenting that keep this in mind is all about high discipline without warmth. And this can lead to hostile demeanors and harsh correctional uh, responses. Neglectful parenting, on the other hand, is non-responsive and non-demanding, resulting in disengaged children. So which do you think statistically is the most effective style of parenting? Two researchers, uh, Laura E. Burke and Diana Bomrand, lean toward the authoritative child-rearing style because it combines acceptance with discipline. Now, the, date will, will, the debate will undoubtedly continue, and each discussion needs to also include the influential factors that peers, family makeup, conformity, personality, gender, and other variables will play into these equations. But with that in mind, we need to think about why juveniles choose to commit crimes. I mean, are they rational choices? Or are they an artifact of some kind of social disorganization? Is it the strain of economic conditions or some ritualism? Or maybe it's even labeling. I think back to a poster I saw online from 1936, promoting planned housing as a method to deter juvenile delinquency. It showed the silhouette of a child stealing a piece of fruit and an older child involved in an armed robbery. <laughs> what it taught me and what we've learned in nearly a hundred years is that we haven't learned much. Each kid is an individual. 
Preventing delinquency clearly is multidisciplinary. It includes things like substance abuse education and treatment, family counseling, youth mentoring, parenting, educational support, and youth sheltering. I'm going to be really interested if you could just take a moment, folks, and enter down below what your own personal experience was in regard to juvenile delinquency. It might be that you talk about you as a child, maybe one of your own children. It might be somebody that you know, but it's all going to be in your opinion. And I want to know what led to the poor choices. What changed the life of this young person and helped turn him into a productive member of society? Be careful in your exchange, especially remain sensitive to how painful this can be for some people. Represent your thoughts and feelings empathetically and take time, folks, to respond to each other. You've been listening to Profiling Evil Academy Season 3, and this has been a great opportunity for us to take some time to talk about criminal behavior. Think about the things that you're learning. Think about the things you're reading from your peers, and let's keep a constructive dialogue going. Let's see if together we can increase our overall understanding of aggression and personal criminal behaviors. Now, I hope that you're enjoying season three and that you'll take a moment and hit that like and subscribe button and please share Profiling Evil with your friends. And by all means, go to profilingevil.com and check out our website or catch our podcasts on Profiling Evil on your favorite podcast platform. Well, thanks again for supporting Profiling Evil, and we'll see you all soon at the next crime scene. Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years, and one of my favorite research tools is Truthfinder. It's online, and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give Truthfinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing. But you got to click the link and enter Evil 10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time.